we knew we needed to raise money. It was just a question of how. And we were very lucky. I think of the 80,000 companies that applied for season six of Shark Tank, we were one of 108 to make it on air. They said you had a better chance of randomly applying to Harvard and getting in than getting on Shark Tank. But we, uh, we did it. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with Justin Fenchel, who is built as CEO and co-founder an amazing brand called Beatbox. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to talk to you, Dave. So I want to dive in and start with, uh, you know, what exactly is Beatbox for somebody that might not be familiar with the brand? So Beatbox is an 11% alcohol ready-to-drink party punch. So it is fun flavors like blue raspberry, pink lemonade, tropical, mango, fruit punch, those kind of nostalgic flavors you remember growing up, but with a kick at 11%. We are wine-based, but we taste much more kind of like a vodka cocktail, and we're sold in the most eco-friendly, portable, resealable containers, which is Tetra Pak. And uh, we're, we're just out there uh, bringing people together around music and good times. So I want to dive in a little bit. You said, you know, it's actually wine-based. So it's actually based on a, an orange wine. What exactly is that? And how did you discover its versatility that could lead to what Beatbox is? Yeah, so it is an orange wine. It comes from, it's not the orange wine like that you're starting to hear about, which is like a blend of a rosé and a, and a white wine. Um, it's actually made from fermented orange peels. So they take the excess orange peels and they add some sugar and re-ferment it up to about 21% alcohol. So what you get is a very neutral, clean base of alcohol that's 21% that allows you to make more spirits-based tasting taste profiles, even though you're using a wine base. And we discovered that actually by some luck, we originally wanted to make beatbox with a vodka base back, you know, we're talking 2012, 2013, when we first had the idea and we wanted to do a vodka cocktail in a box because no one had really done that. And we learned that you could not put distilled spirits in over 1.75 liters, like a typical, you know, handle. And so when we were bummed out that we couldn't use a vodka and we, our first product was a five liter bag and box, obviously much bigger than a 1.75 uh, limit that we had. We worked with the, this lawyer that we were talking to that was a TTB, which is the regulatory body over alcohol and said, Hey, like, what else can we do? And, and he said, well, there's this company that specializes in making this orange wine and we tried it and we loved it. And we basically tried to recreate the flavors we wanted with the vodka mix with this wine mix and they tasted dead on. And that was how we got to the orange wine game. And so with the business, you, know, you mentioned you kind of started the idea in 2012, 2013. A turning point was when you guys appeared on Shark Tank. Uh, what led you to that moment? Yeah, so we, we started it in the business school at University of Texas, McCombs, getting our MBA, at least most of us. And um, we self-distributed the products. We figured out how to make it, uh, which was a whole process. We had no experience in alcohol. So it was a lot of learning, doing a lot of the lean startup method and trying to figure it out. And then once we had a product and we were self-distributing around town, we then got picked up by a distributor and we had exhausted all of the money that we had put in and that we had gotten from friends and family. So we self-funded it with the five original co-founders for about $55,000. And we were able to get about 150000 from our friends and our families. And with that money, we got to market. But then 
that was kind of that that started to go into making the product and self-distributing it. And we went to go raise money. And as we were going to raise money, people would say, oh, you know, you, you should go on Shark Tank as if you just like pop up down to Sony Picture Studios and go on the show. But we would be doing tasting in stores and people would be talking to us saying how cool it was. And so when we were looking to raise money in town, we ended up applying to Shark Tank at the same time. And we hit it from every angle we could, just hustled it, tweeting at the Sharks, emailing on LinkedIn, whatever we could to get their attention. And we ended up making it the second round and then the next round, the next round and eventually on the show. So it was just, uh, you know, we, we knew we needed to raise money. It was just a question of how. And we were very lucky. I think of the 80,000 companies that applied for season six of Shark Tank, we were one of 108 to make it on air. They said you had a better chance of randomly applying to Harvard and getting in than getting on Shark Tank. But we, uh, we did it. So it was pretty awesome. And what was uh, the result of the show and what happened after the show? Yeah, so we coming into the show, you know, we had done about $230,000 in revenue in the 14 months that we had been in existence. And uh, we had a distributor that could take us nationally. We had an outsourced manufacturer, right? So we were trying to check every box we could as far as how, how why would this be de-risked for an investor to, to, to help, you know, that they feel comfortable investing. And so we had some key pieces. We had a product that was selling in the market. We had a distributor. We had a co-packer. And we went in asking for 200000 for 10%. So we were valuing the company at a $2 million post-money valuation, which was you know, pretty substantial, 10x our, our current revenue. And of course, Mr. Wonderful bashed the valuation and said it was too high, but he made an offer. Barbara made an offer. We didn't realize they were all going to make offers. And eventually, the guy that we wanted to do a deal with, Mark, made an offer. And he offered 600000 for a third of the business. So we valued it at about $1.8 million post-money. And you know, we were in the moment... We figured, you know, with Mark, he's a billionaire, what's a few hundred thousand dollars? And we countered his offer with a million dollar investment for a third. So a $3 million post money value. And he took it right away. Um, he was he was excited that we didn't go in the room and ask and debate. We knew we wanted him. And it was really, really cool and a powerful, powerful TV moment and an entrepreneur's dream, right? To get a million dollar investment for Mark on the show. I think it's still one of the top five dollar deals in the show's history. And so from then, you know, it was a process. It was three, four months of diligence. You know, all the sharks know is your name and your company name. They don't know your business financials. They haven't seen anything. So all that gets released after we did the handshake agreement. We closed the deal as it was on the show about four months later, uh, which was a very stressful time because we didn't have any money and we had to prepare to potentially air. And we didn't have this deal closed, but we closed it. And then when that show aired and 10 million people saw it, we had, you know, every distributor, wanted to carry it. Every retailer wanted to do it. But in alcohol, it's tough because you need to have light. It's not like we're a squatty potty, right? Which is sold online. You can sell it anywhere in the world. We need to have permits and licenses and that takes time. And, and so we ended up launching over the next 18 months in about 26 states, including retailers like Walmart. But with at the time, just three founders and an intern and not having any idea how to manage really complex distribution companies that we were with. It was a total fail, but it was exciting and fun flying all over the country. And we were on TV and it was pretty neat, but it was not the right recipe for scaling the business. So with that scaling moment, what did you guys have to do to kind of get you ready for that scale? And what changes did you make in the business? Well, before the Shark Tank episode aired, I mean, we needed an inventory. We had to produce a lot. Um, so we, we, you know, obviously use the the million dollars to, to produce a lot of inventory, to do some marketing and get product to all the distributors. But, you know, as I said, it was, it, we, we, we 
we scaled up, we grew our revenue to, to like $800,000 in that first year. But a lot of that was just kind of pipeline fill, if you will. So meaning we sold it to our distributors and they put it in some stores, but it wasn't flying off the shelves like we were hoping. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of um, making sure we had the inventory, making sure our website was up and running and not going to crash when the show aired. Uh, there was a lot that went into it. When did uh, music come into play as kind of an essence of the brand? Music came in day one. I mean, the reason we started it was because us as a founding team, we were obsessed with music and music festivals. You know, personally, I'm always the guy that's hosting the pre-parties and the after parties, and there's always music involved. I love music festivals. I go to a bunch all you know every year. And so music connects people globally. And if if the world if you've ever been to a music festival, if the world was more like the vibes at a music festival, we wouldn't be talking about all the shit that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. I mean, no one's asking you what religion you are. No one cares what race you are, or what your sexual identity is. Everybody is there having an amazing time around music. And that was the, that was the moment. And that's what we wanted to capture in the beatbox brand was this feeling of togetherness, inclusion and belonging centered around music. So it's been with us in our DNA since the, the, before even the brand, the product was a, a concept. So with that, how did you build into your go-to-market strategy with that being at the essence of the brand and something you personally had a passion for? How did it come into the, the go-to-market? So we always wanted to do more music festivals. Of course, they're very expensive. So when you're just starting out, it's really hard. The other challenge we had was our first product was this five-liter bag-in-box which is 1.3 gallons, you know, it's a big, big, if you've ever had a box of Franzia or something like that, you, you know, that's what it was, but it was blue raspberry party punch. And that was really hard to sell at a music festival because it's confusing. And do you, you can't sell the whole box to someone. It's hard to do by the glass, you know, pouring it into a cup. So, so it was really hard to, 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 to do the marketing that we wanted to do. When we launched the single serve 500 milliliter Tetra pack, which is those resealable cartons I was talking about, that's 90, that's hundred percent of our sales at this point. That was perfect for festivals. And so the way that we have thought about music festivals and what we're seeing is it's where the brand was born. It's, it's where customers fully get it. It's kind of like if you've ever been to a winery, you know, whether it's like Napa Valley or Oregon or any part of the country, been to a winery and you sit down and, you, and they're telling you about the grapes and you're trying the wine and you're like, you get home and you, you have that image of like being in there and it's beautiful and you order more of that wine because it brings you back to that moment. Well, that's what a festival is to beatbox, right? So our customers are discovering beatbox at these festivals. They're drinking it. They're having the time of their, li- of their lives with their best friends, old friends, new friends and everything in between. And they're having a great time. And then they go home and they associate those moments with beatbox because beatbox was there and it was uh, this amazing experience they had and the product tastes great. It's, it's, you know, high alcohol. It's all the things that customers are looking for, especially in that environment. And so that's really how we've built this community. And we have lots of different communities, but a big one is our festival community and they're just loving what we're doing. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders 
to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. Just coming out of the pandemic for the business overall, you know, you had this moment where festivals weren't exactly happening and that experiential wasn't taking place in the way it was. What happened during the pandemic with your guys' business across the board? Yeah, so so in 2018, we switched, we launched the single serve and we switched from wine and spirit distributors to beer distributors. That was a huge pivot. Beer distributors are great at merchandising in the convenience store channel where our single serve really needed to be to start. And so by 2020, heading into 2020, we had really started to get, you know, we were only in maybe 800, 900 accounts in the country in 2017. Well, by early 2020, we were in 5,000 accounts, which, you know, for us was a huge number at the time. Now we're in almost 40,000 or something like that, but we were in 5,000 accounts. And so there was more places to buy beatbox than there had been before. And we had launched in more states. And so it, we started to have like, started to build some momentum by early 2020. And we had all these plans to sponsor festivals in 2020. I think we had like 30 or 40 on the books. But of course, then March hits and there's no festivals. What we saw was two things. One, all the dollars that were being spent in the bars and the restaurants and all that, there was none of that. So those were all shifting to the off-premise, which is grocery stores, convenience stores, liquor stores, et cetera. So that was a benefit to us because we didn't really have any sales in the on-premise. All of our sales were pretty much in the convenience stores. So there was people discovering our brand at retail because they were using all their dollars that they would typically have spent in the on-premise in the off. So that was one thing. The second thing was we couldn't do festivals. So we pivoted hard to a digital strategy. Now we've always been a digital first company. We don't do TV ads. We don't do billboards, although we're finally starting to, but like we are, we were a, we were on Instagram before Instagram was cool. We were the first company to have a Snapchat QR code before even now QR codes are making a big comeback, but like that, that wasn't a really a thing. We're always looking for the next platform. And so we like in, in early 2020, even before the pandemic, we were starting to build a TikTok presence. And we also just kind of acknowledged that people couldn't go anywhere, but you could beat boring was our campaign at home. And so we had people, you know, showing us how they were beating boring in their home with their social bubble. And the product itself was, was kind of perfect for the environment. You could go to the park to the beach, the camping, right? All these outdoor activities, our product was really made for that. So we had this new group of people discovering the brand in the stores. We had another huge group of people that were discovering the brand online. And the combination of that, as things started to open up, um, really was a powerful combination of acquiring all these new customers. And then as festivals started to come back, we were, we were the first ones to be there. We were right there with our customers as they were coming out of their homes you know, meeting them where they were, whether that was first in digital and then after as things open up back in the festival. So it's really worked. I love that. So when did you start uh, expanding the brand? Did you launch any new flavors, new adjacencies, new product lines? Yeah, we, we had the five liter bag and box with, we got up to like five flavors with that. Um, but then as we pivoted to the single serve, we started with our top three and then we've been layering in new flavors kind of every year. So we're now up to eight flavors with the single serve. And 
we're pretty content with what we've got. We did launch a 6% zero sugar version to kind of play in the better for you space, even though the 11% is only 100 calories per serving, seven grams of sugar. So it's relatively better than, you know, a flavored malt beverage that has tons of sugar and calories. But we had a zero sugar 6% version that is, you know, more for a, a kind of a, a, as a, as our consumer, you know, goes from, 21 to 29 into their 30s, right? They're they're looking for some a little bit of a different occasion. So we have that. But for us, it's we're still only in less than 10% of the wine license accounts with our core beatbox product. So our wholesalers are overwhelmed with innovation. The big brands are always putting out new things and new things, and something doesn't work, and they put out another thing, and that doesn't work, and they put out another thing. So for us, the message is pretty clear. Let's get beatbox into more accounts. It's the fastest selling ready to drink product or a top two or three in the country. Let's get, let's just keep focused on that and not lose our attention from what's really, really working. Cause you can get distracted by too many shiny objects. And we've learned the hard way that way. Where do you see beatbox going over the next few years then, you know, obviously getting more distribution and all those accounts is key, but any other key directions you're taking the business? Yeah, I think I think it's so hard to get to the point where like everything has to work or nothing works, right? So when we first started, you know, we we had this this five liter bag and box. We went on Shark Tank. We had all this publicity. We were with Wine and Spirits distributor. That was right brand, wrong product size, wrong distributor, and no team. Then we hired a team, and we had great team, wrong distributor right product. We had the single serve with wine and spirit distributors and a team. Then it was pivoting to beer distributors. So we had, then we had right product, right distribution network. And we started to hire people from the beer world. And we said, okay, this is the right team. So now you have those three things working for you. And it's really hard to get your product to a place where it's not a question of like testing anymore, right? Like we know the product, the product we need to have. We know the distribution network we need to be in. We know the displays we need to have at retail. We know the marketing we need to do. And we've got the operation side dialed in. All of it is working. So now you're past the test mode. It is scale mode. And so for us, it's the next two years are how do we go from less than 10% of the wine license accounts in the country to 30%, right? And and we're going to do, we're going to ship nearly 2 million cases this year. To put that in perspective, four years ago, we shipped 50,000 cases. So it's like... It's insane. But even so, 2 million cases only out of 10% of the accounts. We can really, really scale this thing. And so it's more distribution, more flavors per account. We have an internal um, kind of internal goal of 67,794 monthly buying accounts. And we base that number on what our current rate of sale is. And we have 30, just about 32,000 monthly buying accounts. If we get that number to 67,794, we're a $100 million revenue business. And we're a top five RT, ready to, we're a top five ready to drink brand by dollars, uh, including the white claws of the world, the trulies of the world. So that's what we're on a mission to do in the next couple of years. Beyond that, we said from day one, we want to be the Red Bull of the alcohol industry. And Red Bull is, you know, the product is the product, but it's, it's the lifestyle. It's what it symbolizes about you when you buy a Red Bull. It's how it makes you feel. And we've always aspired to how that brand is so, you know, despite the thousands of other energy drink brands that have come in, Red Bull still reigns supreme because of that lifestyle component. And so for us, Beatbox is not a craft beer 
out of Austin. It's not a, a local, you know, vodka or something like that. It's not a beer. It's a party punch centered around music. And music is not just in the US. Music is global. And the product, the Tetra Pak product, is actually more widely accepted internationally than here in the US, although it is growing quite a bit here. So for us, you know, I like to say from from the beaches of Brazil to the warehouse parties in Manchester, you know, we think that beatbox can connect people the way it's doing in the US globally, centered around music and great times with a product that backs up those experiences. And so once we kind of get to the scale we want to get to in the US, we see this as a potential global opportunity. So you mentioned earlier that you launched the Zero Sugar as your audience ages beyond, you know, call it their 20s into the next phase of their life. How do you keep the brand growing and, you know, expanding beyond that core audience of, you know, call it the music festival and the age, you know, the age you're going after at the moment? Yeah, well, I think that's one. I think we have a long way to go to get to scale within that demographic. But the music festival community is just one of the many communities, you know, there's the, what we like to call the party parents, right? That's a whole other community that we are getting traction in. There's our WeFunder community. Those are folks that we have 2,500 people that have invested and that are, you know, that love Shark Tank and we empower that community. So there's, there's so many, the wonderful thing about Beatbox is it tastes so damn good, right? And people are surprised. I think you know, you see the package and you think, oh, this is going to be really sweet or it's going to be this, you know, it's not carbonated. It's very neutral tasting. It's really for everybody. And we wouldn't be seeing the the IRI data that we're seeing, the Nielsen, the scan data, as if it was only for one certain demographic. And so we're reaching all over the place, which is really exciting because the brand is obviously music is our core and you've got to reach the core, but it's reaching beyond that. But yes, of course, we're, we're, you know, things won't last forever, right? I think we, to quote Wayne Gretzky, like we skated to where the puck was going, maybe a few years too, too early, right? The word ready to drink, no one was saying that four years ago, five years ago, even though ready to drink beverages have been around for a long time. They just used to collect dust in the, in the liquor store aisle. But we knew that our demographic was moving away, our demographic being millennial Gen Z consumers. We're moving away from beer towards alternatives, towards wines and spirits. So we kind of got there a little early, but we have to always listen to our customers. And that's what's going to help us to continue to win against the cruise ships, you know, that are the, the big, large alcohol brands. You know, we're a jet ski. And so we have to be nimble and lean. And if trends shift and we're thinking about, you know, the next few years and, and, and what things, how things may adapt and, and we can be quick to adapt with them. But for now, we have 4,000 people every single day coming to our store locator trying to find Beatbox. The number one con- complaint we get from people is there's not a store close enough to me. So until that's reached critical mass, there's no reason if, to do anything else. Perfect. Well, I think that is a great place to uh, kind of end on. I appreciate you sharing the story of Beatbox and you know all the great advice of the journey you guys have been on for almost a decade to make yeah. this overnight success. Thank you again and uh, appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.